Episode 1112, Mulling Over Mulholland Drive. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Ben DeVoto, and I'm uh, very excited for this episode. Yes, now this is... At first, when we were talking about where to put this episode, I thought the extra feed, because over on the extra feed, we're doing something called the Criterion Challenge. This is a follow-up to an episode that Ben did here on the main feed not too long ago. Uh, what was it? It was, it was called Criterion Completion, and I think it was episode 1107. And on that episode, Ben leaves us with, I think, 110 of his favorite Criterion movies yes, as recommendations. I did add a couple more to the list oh, I have to check it out. This, this weekend. So I decided to take that challenge and i we create a little series called the criterion challenge in the extra feed where maybe not every week but it happens to have been every week at this point even though it's only been a few weeks where we'll talk about what movies that i watched from the criterion challenge and if there's more like last week we covered arsenic and old lace and uh monsieur hulot's holiday that's right although i don't know if that was actually a part oh, of the and uh, uh it is part of the criterion okay uh, well i don't know if it was on my list but it's part okay. of the collection uh matter of life and death yeah, matter of life and death about. that's the one so anyways so this episode, Mulholland Drive, I watched it for the Criterion Challenge, but also it's just been one that I felt like I should come back to. Yeah. It, I had, well, so anyways, I guess I'll cl- close the Criterion Challenge portion by saying check out our Patreon feed, which is patreon.com slash the sci-fi Christian, because we're talking about a lot of these movies here. This almost ended up on the extra feed, but Ben did so much research. I thought this should be in the main feed for everybody. Yeah. And because, and, cause, yeah, we're going to talk about. Mulholland Drive, but then also influences. Including Persona, which is another movie on the list of films from yes. Ben's Criterion recommendation. So, yeah. do you want, Can we give a little background on, on before we go into the deep dive of we, Mulholland we Drive? Should. Let's talk about our, our experience with it. Yeah. So, I first watched this movie either in 2001 or 2002, but because of the I film... I think it came out in 2002. All right, well, so, uh, it had to have come out and at least in 2001 because it was recommended to me in 2001. You are correct. Uh, but I just don't know. I would have watched it soon after a, a film class I was taking. Which one? I've taken two film classes I've mentioned on the show. I think this one might have just been film study. But anyways, my professor gave me tons of movies I had never seen before. This is one of them. And so, yeah, there's various movies I'll sometimes say, oh, I watched that back in 2001 because of this class. And here, right. this is one of them. I remembered some of what was in here, but not a lot. And you hadn't seen any David Lynch at the time, whereas now you've watched yes, a, you're right. a moderate amount of David I, Lynch. Yes, I'm certain this would have been my very first David Lynch film. Well, I, sh- I say you've watched a moderate amount. I know you've seen all of Twin Peaks. All of Twin Peaks, plus The Return, plus Dune with you. Have you watched any, like, you haven't seen Eraserhead? Nope. Yeah, certain name of some things. Or Blue Velvet? No. Lost Highway? No. Okay, so this is... So this is it. <laughs> which, you know, if, you were, if you're talking about hitting the peaks of David Lynch, you know, this Twin Peaks, I, I didn't mean peaks, but I guess it makes a nice pun. Yeah. Uh, Eraserhead and Blue Velvet. Like, if I was to come up with the four essential David Lynch, believe it or not, uh, Dune did not make the cut. Uh, those are what the four would be. Um, and I'd say it's most closely related thematically. I mean, all of his movies really have a through line to them, but you can see a lot of overlap between Twin Peaks and this. Well, you're going to tell about it. I hope you talk about the history because at one point you had told me that yeah. this movie, Mulholland Drive, has some connection to Twin Peaks, which yes. I'm interested in. Yes. So I don't know. How do you want to do this episode? Because I'm interested in talking about the influence. I'm, I want to hear more. Oh, well, what's your experience with Mulholland Drive? What was your first viewing? Yeah, so I... I 
It's kind of similar in some ways. I wasn't taking a film class, but I was working at a uh, Barnes & Noble uh, when I was 16, 17. So that would have been 2002, 2003. So somewhere along the same time. And, you know, Barnes & Noble's have the music DVD section. Mm-hmm. I was I was either filling in or working in that section. And uh, somebody was recommending movies. And this was one of the ones that they recommended. And I remember watching it being completely perplexed. Yeah. <laughs> By, you know, I had never seen anything from David Lynch before. And then I think I watched it once or twice. Um, and then more or less forgot about it for uh, over a decade. Uh, and then when I started to get back into Criterion, you know, in in the mid 2010s, and probably had watched Twin Peaks around that time, you know. So I was interested in David Lynch again, and was starting to walk work, work my way through his filmography, and so came back to it at that point, having a better appreciation for not only David Lynch but this type of film because I'd never seen anything remotely like Mulholland Drive in 2002, mm-hmm. uh, and just fell in love with it. It's one of my top films. In fact. Um, two of the movies we're going to talk about tonight, this one and Persona, are both in my top 25 of all time. Uh, I love both of those movies. I think Persona is the better film, but they're both just phenomenal. And this is a movie that, to me, uh, I, I just am endlessly obsessed with. There's so much to think about. And, and um, like I said, you know, among David Lynch being one of my favorite directors and then this being among the best of the best, I'd, I'd say for a personal choice, it comes down to this or Twin Peaks: The Return for me. It's my favorite David Lynch, but I wouldn't fight anybody who says Mulholland Drive is the superior product. At this point in the in the episode, do we want people to go watch the movie before they? I, I think so. <laughs> you know, and here's the thing: like we're going to get into, and you asked me how I want to proceed. I want to talk mainly first about Mulholland Drive, and then we can get into the influences. But I Mulholland Drive. If you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to do so before listening to the rest of this episode. Not because there's any big spoilers. I mean, like we were going to get actually get into the plot of what's going on, and the plot is, believe it or not, very straightforward for what's happening in Mulholland Drive. That's right, because I told you I would start by telling you what i think happens yes. which we'll do after the spoiler warning so it's not as though oh you know uh, don't want to spoil you it's more just that mulholland drive like a lot of david lynch's work is so dreamlike that you really owe it to yourself to kind of have this what the heck experience of watching it for the first time and and just letting it hit your subconscious without knowing what in the world is going on and the first time you watch it you won't know what in the world is going on uh the last thing i'll say about that is that if you were to think about film or any art form in terms of dividing form from content you know you can have straightforward form with complicated content uh you can also have you know straightforward form and content or you could have uh, you know easy content difficult form that's what this is the form of the film how the story is told is complicated but the content is actually very straightforward hmm. you know what's actually happening in the movie is not complicated it's just how it's told so i don't have my phone with me here tonight but so i can't look at my review but i said something in my review oh man i wish i didn't have it i wish i could do, can I, you, I can pull it up yeah you pull it up yeah, I'm, 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 hey while you're pulling that up i uh told you off there i wanted to give a little bit of a warning because i had remembered there was nudity in this movie if we're giving a spoiler warning here but there was more than i remembered 
Yeah, it's a little bit graphic. So just be prepared to fast forward as needed. Or, uh, or well, tough it out. I guess we have some different views on this. You're an adult. <laughs> I mean, don't watch it with the kids, but. Yeah, definitely yeah. not a family movie. Uh, so yeah, what, which is uh, funny because it almost starts as a family movie. Like it's it's kind of got this gosh golly gee whiz uh, detective feel to it through a lot, and then it, it takes a turn. Well, okay, so, what, so what here's what you said. You said David Lynch has set himself up so well because when his movies make no sense, people are just like, "That's his style. It's not supposed to make sense." And you're half right. Like, and it, there's a lot in this movie. So when I talk about the plot being straightforward. I don't mean that we can go through moment by moment, scene by scene, symbol by symbol, and say, this is this, yeah. this is that. What I do mean is that the plot at a base level, as far as what actually happens, who are the characters and what are they doing, does make sense. And then there's a lot of subconscious symbolism that not only would you say it's hard to say exactly what it means? It would be a mistake to definitely say this is what it means. And David Lynch fills his films with subconscious symbols that even he doesn't entirely know what they mean. So I'm not saying that everything in this movie can be pinned down and anybody who claims otherwise has failed to understand the movie, but the plot and the characters and what they're doing, what's real, what's not, we can get pretty close on. All right, here it is. You've been waiting for this. This is what I think is happening. Yeah, so recap Mulholland Drive All right, for me. So it starts out where we meet an aspiring actress. Yeah, Betty. No, no, actually, first we, we see this car accident, right? That happens first, right? And then Rita, or whatever her real name is, has amnesia. She gets in a car accident, just goes into a house, and she, ha- you know, people are going to be having seen this movie at this point. One would hope so. So I won't, I'm not going to give the beat by beat, but eventually Rita and Betty meet they become friends there they encounter somebody who maybe knew rita before she lost her memory but no but this person's dead they go to this person's house and she's right. dead diane's and house this character is going to be important later in right. the film uh there's a whole subplot about like some sort of group of people that have power over hollywood yeah this director who is well there's a director but then there's a people that are yes. telling the director you should put this woman in your movie and he Correct. doesn't want to there's a whole mess there and then there's the key and I, okay now i want to ask about the key right so well i'm not gonna i'll I answer know. everything but i'm not gonna answer you yet so i think at the scene where rita and betty go to hear that singer at club silencio does the key just appear in betty's purse at that point or like the key's been seen sooner See, I, I think I'm at a, I was watching carefully, but right, can you right. tell me when it was seen earlier? Uh, very early on when Rita shows up and they're going through her purse, she finds the blue key at that point, and then it reemerges later okay. on. Okay. Uh, oh, no, no. It's at that scene that the box appears. Yes, that's what that's I, when the box so, appears. So the box does just manifest at in Club her Silencio, purse, yes. right? That's what I meant. Okay. So they, they open a box, and then the, I, this is the only part of the movie I remembered from... 2001 or whenever I watch it is just, everything just flips and at first if, if you had asked me what happened without me having to rewatch it I would have thought the characters change places for some reason that's what I was left with but that's sure. not exactly what happened I it you could either see this as an alternate universe that's similar or it is an, the early part of the story we've already been told we're just seeing it out of order we're I think we're seeing pieces that we haven't seen from the first part of the movie but the characters are being played by different actors sometimes. Right, because now Betty is Diane. Diane, who we know eventually dies, and, and we kind of see where she dies. And Rita is Camille. Who we've also seen. 
but Camille is the actress who the mob wanted to get cast. Yep. Uh, but it's played by a different actress in the first half of the right. movie. So I do think if it, when you say it's straightforward, I guess how I would explain that is when after the box scene, that's the beginning of the movie, and then you have to go back to the actual beginning of the film to watch how everything else unfolds. Is that close? Uh, not really. Okay, and then <laughs> and then there's a part. It'll you, make sense. There's parts we... you'll never be able to explain. Right, like the old the old couple from the airport, and then the the, the little versions of them. I, I can maybe explain parts of that. Uh, and, and of course, there's the hobo behind the Winky's Diner. Yes, there's the, the guy who was se- the scary person who was seen in the dream. Yep. And I thought, and I wasn't even mad about it. I thought this character who had the dream and that scary character, they're never coming back to that. Yeah. I, I thought that this is just a one and done scene. And we'll move on because that's David Lynch. Right. But So the fact that he showed up at the end is actually a surprise and, and to me. Produces, and he has the box... And the little people, the little old people come out of the box right. at the end. Right. And then at the very end, Dan kills herself. Right. Which we already saw her dead. Yes. But a different version of her. Okay. Yes. So now you explain. So my best version is it's roughly the same story. Just we're not watching it linear, linear in like a linear time version. But I see you saying that's not true. Yeah, not, not entirely. Okay. So before I explain, uh, David Lynch actually did something unprecedented he explained this movie well because <laughs> he when, talk when, about what he yeah because he doesn't explain his films uh but for whatever reason he was able to be convinced for the french dvd release and remember this is early internet this is early 2000s so he didn't expect this to actually spread out but he wrote up 10 clues okay and if you think oh boy here we go um uh, I'll just spoiler alert on the clues that you will probably be more confused after hearing the clues. Oh my God. But let me, let me read David Lynch's 10 clues for you. Uh, number one, pay particular attention to the beginning of the film. At least two clues are revealed before the credits. Okay. Well, so you well, mentioned that like the, the film starts with the car accident. It actually doesn't remember. There's the jitterbug scene. Yeah. Where it's kind of like, almost like flashing in and out and you yep. see Betty, right? Don't you see is it mm-hmm. Betty's face there? She's happy and smiling. And- or Diane, whoever yeah. she is. Okay. Two, notice appearances of the red lampshade. I don't even know what that means. Well, there's a red lampshade <laughs> that can sometimes be seen. But in that's the, the same thing as Twin Peaks, I remember. Right? Well, red's, uh, red and blue are significant colors for kind of the surrealistic dreamscape in, in but- Twin Peaks, in this film, in Blue Velvet. It's something David Lynch keeps coming back yeah. to. Three. Can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher, who's the director played by Justin Theroux, is auditioning actresses for? Mm-hmm. Is it mentioned again? What is the title? Uh, the Sylvia North story, and it is mentioned again. You hear it once in the first half of the film, and then later in the second half, uh, where Diane is watching Adam seduce Camille on set. Mm-hmm. That's also the Sylvia North story. Okay. Four, an accident is a terrible event. Notice the location of the accident. Which is Sunset Boulevard or uh, Mulholland Drive? Drive. Okay. Um, we'll come back. So some of these are easier to explain than others. That one I can actually give a good answer to. Five, who gives a key and why? Yeah, so who gave the key? Like who well, put the key in the purse? So one thing that we neglected to summarize from um, your, your summary is that there's also an, a key in the second half of the film. Because That's right. Diane a hires a hitman played by Jacob from Lost right. to to kill Camille, and 
his sign of that it being done is he gives her a key. He leaves a key okay. for her. Uh, six, notice the robe, the ashtray, the coffee cup. <laughs> well, what does that mean? I'll, you know, some of these are going to be able to explain better than others, but we'll come back to some of those. Seven, what is felt, realized, and gathered at the Club Silencio? I have no idea where that even is. That's uh, where the singer is. Okay. Uh, eight, did talent alone help Camilla? And that's No, she was sleeping with the director. No, that, that in the second version. Uh-huh. But in the first version, wasn't it the people in power that wanted her? Yes. So which version of Camilla are we talking about? But the answer is no in both cases. Nine, notice the occurrences surrounding the man behind Winkies. This is the scary person? Yeah. Okay. And ten, where is Aunt Ruth? Yeah, where did she go at the beginning? Do you remember? So this one's Because kind of, she's back yeah. in the second version. She's there still. Kind of. We actually only see Aunt Ruth twice. We see her once at the very beginning leaving her apartment before Betty shows up. And then we see her after the blue box has been opened. Yes. And then the blue box collapses onto the floor of her bedroom and Aunt Ruth is seen walking around. Yes. We'll come back to the clues uh, before we're all done and I'll explain them as best I can. It's a it's a crazy movie. Okay. So you want me to summarize? Yeah. Tell me what Look, you think happened. I'm going to summarize the film and then I'll tell you what happens. Okay? Okay. So we start off with the jitterbug contest and... One of the things that we see there is that there's a shot of a pillow. Okay, so we're come back to that. I do not remember that. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop saying I don't remember that. Maybe I can't help myself. That's fine. There's so many things it's I, do, be I conversational. didn't see. So then we get into the plot of this where y- you talked about the accident at Mulholland Drive. I'm only going to mention the things that maybe you didn't highlight as we went. We have the dream at Winkies. Um, but before the accident, they were maybe going to do something bad to Rita. Yes. So like, the car seemed stops. like they were going to kill her out and there. And she says, uh, we're not supposed to stop here. And But we did see later that same version. Oh, just, 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 okay. just wait. Just wait. We're going to come back to all of this. They're going to assassinate her. There's an accident, which is, we later learn, is the hitman from uh, Lost Jacob. Um, he, she gets out of the car, has amnesia, wanders into Betty's apartment, adopts the uh, persona of Rita. Uh, all of this is going on and on. There's a very innocent thing that's going on. So Betty shows up with the old couple. Significantly with the old couple, we get one of the creepiest scenes in the entire movie, which is after they drop Betty off, they're sitting there smiling and, and looking very, very disturbing. You know, well, like kind of happy with themselves, made yes. proud. So the old couple takes on kind of a nightmare imagery through all of this. I'm just thinking back to that scene. Did I get the, Was it creepy right away? I think so, but I can't confirm. Well, we'll come back to okay. it. I mean, uh, obviously, they're creepy at the end. They're very creepy at the end. So we go through all of this. A lot of things you mentioned. Um, among the things that maybe I would highlight that you didn't mention are that Betty is trying to break into Hollywood, so she has this whole audition thing. Uh, you talked about some of the, the adult content in the film. One thing that is significant is that up until Betty's audition for this role, everything's very innocent, and then it becomes more sensual, more erotic after that. And she has this sort of creepy audition uh, with this older guy where they play the scene very, very sleazy, which is... Uh, diametrically opposed to the more playful 
a motive way that she was practicing it with Rita earlier. So there's a shift of personality that goes on. But was she following that, that guy's lead a little bit? He was kind of being a little He creepy. was, but her personality changes after that scene. Oh, so you're saying she changed for the scene and then actually changed as a person. Correct, correct. So along the way, we have the whole Justin Thoreau subplot. Uh, where he is being forced to pick Camilla, who is not Rita at this point, but is another blonde actress who will show up later. Yes, as somebody else. As somebody who else. Who does she show up as, though? Uh, she's not named in the second half of the movie, but she kisses uh, Rita or Camilla, actual Camilla, at yeah. the party. Why do you say actual Camilla? Isn't it just like second Camilla? We'll, we'll get there. So among uh, along the way, then, Justin Thoreau's character, Adam, is invited out to a ranch where he meets this cowboy. Oh, I love the cowboy character. The cowboy's fantastic. Yes. You know, and the cowboy... Very threatening. Yes, tells him, you know, if you do good, you'll see me one more time. And did he see him one more we time? We only see him one more time. But I, when did he see him again? So that's that's an interesting question. I don't know if Adam sees him. We don't see Adam seeing him again, but we see him I know, him we saw him time. in the second version of the So story. this comes into one of the things that's worth highlighting in the film is that this film, along with Persona, uh, along with Sunset Boulevard, gets part of the subtext that's going on is the nature of cinema in these films. So we'll come back to that but Mulholland Drive is very interested in the audience's relationship to what's happening on the screen and we get this maybe most clearly in a couple of moments Um, so the first one is after they go to Diane's apartment and break in and and they find the dead body there they run out of the room and we mimic the scene from Persona where the film breaks Mm-hmm. So in Persona, if people haven't seen that, there's a, and we'll talk more about Persona in just a little bit, but there's a great moment in Persona where the film actually kind of appears to go off the reel and reset itself. Like mm-hmm. it actually, the film actually breaks mm-hmm. in, in the middle of that. And Persona, or Mulholland Drive recreates that shot where the film kind of goes out of focus and blurs and everything. So something significant has happened there when when they encounter that dead body. That leads them to Club Silencio. And one of the things that happens at Club Silencio is that they have this performance taking place. And there's a magician, and we're treated to the idea that nothing is as it seems. Okay, so I, let me just comment, but I don't. I want to know more about that. But I'll just say when this performer started singing. Yeah. And it was a long song. I was like, oh, I remember this. He did this all the time in Twin Peaks. He would he just did. leave it. And Rebecca on- Del Rio is uh, also in. In Twin Peaks. Okay, yeah, he would. Uh, David Lynch just leaves on, like he just stops the story and lets it be a five to seven minute song. Yeah, and you just sit through it. Yeah, the, the, the most infamous version in Twin Peaks was when they just have the guy sweeping up the the bar at the end of an episode. Yeah. It just goes on for for ten minutes yeah. or whatever. It's great. So yeah, so when this scene started, I predicted it was going to be a long one, and sure enough, it was. I mean, how long do you think? Do you know how long that scene actually is? No, but I, I'd say it's a little different than the Twin Peaks scenes. Um, in part because what he's trying to demonstrate there is like the guy's playing the the saxophone or the trumpet or whatever it is, but he's not really playing. It's revealed to be a recording. Okay. So again, we're commenting on the nature of cinema, that cinema presents something to us that's real, but is actually not real. We're being fooled by a magic trick. But we're also commenting within the world of the film that maybe things aren't as they appear. And indeed, this is where everything starts to unravel. We open the box and reality shifts. 
So what we get in the second half of the film then is Diane, formerly Betty. It's also worth noting that the waitress at Winkies. Her name swaps. Her name swaps from Diane in the first part of the film to being uh, Betty in the second half. And she bears a resemblance to Diane Betty, Naomi Watts' character. Okay. So in the second half of the film, uh, all that we witness in real time is Diane gets out of bed, uh, has a fight with her neighbor who apparently was her former lover who's now moved out. What? I didn't get that. Yeah. Because she said earlier in the film that they just swapped apartments. Well, but they're fighting over that they're it it's stated that they're actually ex-lovers. Oh, I didn't get they that. They were living together. Okay. She realizes uh, she sees the key from the hitman realizes that her hit on Camilla has been carried out, kills herself. In between though, we get a series of flashback scenes. So mm-hmm. the scenes in the second half of the movie are told out of order. See, I, I don't I kind of got that. Okay. I think I did kind of understand that, but I keep going. I'm not sure if I would I don't know how much I understood as I was watching. Yeah, it's confusing when you're watching. This is where I say the the form is complicated, the content isn't. The story that we get when you assemble the scenes in their order is that Camilla and Diane are having a fling. It means more to Diane than it does to Camilla. They are both cast in this film, the Sylvia North story, and Camilla seduces the director for her own advancement and leaves Diane. So Diane's all upset. She's jilted, all of that. This all comes to a climax at a party at Adam's house, which is at Mulholland Drive. Mm -hmm. This is the scene that is the car crash earlier in the film is a metaphorical car crash for Diane at this part of the film. Okay. So Diane, this is the destruction of her life where she realizes that Camilla is just torturing her. It's not just that Camilla has left her for Adam. Yeah, but she's being she's, mean. She's being mean. She's yeah. rubbing it in her face. She even kisses the other woman uh-huh. who is the Camilla from the first half of the film uh, in front of her at this party. The whole thing's just designed to torture and be unnecessarily cruel to mm-hmm. Diane. That's when Diane meets the hitman at Winkies, orders the hit on Camilla. Uh, we come back into real time at that point. Diane is overcome by guilt, represented by the creepy old people coming out of the box behind Winkies, chasing her into her apartment. She kills herself. End of movie. So the old people represent guilt? Yes. Well, at least that's how I would interpret that. Okay. I'm, I'm going to hesitate to be too definitive. To so they're in her mind. Symbol. Yeah. So what about, the, what about the creepy man from the dream? We'll get there. Okay. The key, the key scene though that we haven't talked about is that when the film transitions, the cowboy shows up in Diane's bedroom and says, "Hey, pretty girl, time to wake up." Okay. That's when reality changes. What we're witnessing in the first half of the film is Diane's nightmare. She's dreaming. The entire first half of the film is a dream. What What do you mean it's a nightmare? It's a nightmare dream. It's Diane. She's remixing elements from her real life to process her guilt over what she's done to Camilla. And also to, we see a very manipulative side of her. You know, it's not that she lost out on this part because she wasn't good enough. The mob was behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, she... Her, ver- her dream version of Camilla is Rita, who's at her beck and call, who becomes essentially her uh, 
is even remade in her own image. That's this whole scene where Camilla puts on, or Rita puts on the blonde wig and looks like Diane yes. at that point. Was it, I might have missed a line. Why did she put on a blonde wig? It's it's obscure. It's because she's disguising herself because somebody might be off of her. So Diane recreates this whole reality in this dream where she's the hero who rescues uh, Rita. She is... Um, the actress who everybody wants. The only reason she wouldn't get success is because the mob is interfering. Adam, the director who stole Camilla from her in real life, mm-hmm. is tortured. You know, that's some great oh, yeah. scenes there with oh, Billy yeah. Ray Silas, uh, Cyrus yes. as the pool boy. Uh, and, you know, all of this is happening, which we later, there's a line of dialogue later in the film when they're at the party where, uh, she he's talking about his first wife that he divorced and he says she got the pool man i got the pool you know and he treats it as a joke well uh diane remixes that in her dream to make it so that this is her him being tortured within her false reality so the things that are happening in the film though is that diane has this nice pleasant reality she's the hero she's got all this going for her but reality begins to intervene that's why when they go to diane's apartment and see the body that's reality trying to reassert itself so is this is this dream happening i i missed what you said is this dream happening when she's dying no it's happening before okay um so part of the clue is that we see the pillow at the opening during the jitterbug contest we are watching diane fall asleep and what happens after that is the beginning of her dream. Hmm. Okay, that is a good clue then. So the, so whole the cowboy is totally in the dream. Exactly. The the monster behind Winkies is representative of D- Diane's guilty subconscious, or at least that's one of the more common interpretations of it. That's the guilty part of her so that the, has ordered this hit on, on Camilla. So the, the scary guy and the old people are all representative of, of her Correct. guilt. Okay. Correct. Her guilt, her complicity, there's a lot of different ways that, that you could take it. Okay. So basically the whole movie is essentially, forgetting about the dream, woman is mad, orders a hit on her ex-girlfriend, the hit is ta- uh, happens, and now she feels guilty, and so she kills herself. That's it. That's the whole movie. That's the whole movie. Huh. Easy. But... What's fun about it is the subconscious, the clues, the uh, trying to piece all of this together because it's also this commentary, you know, on this dreamlike state. I think part of what's fascinating about it is elements from other David Lynch works, like where you kind of have this uh, Agent Cooper gumshoe can do mentality. Like here, those elements are present. There's kind of this Nancy Drew aspect to the first half of the movie. But once we realize what's going on, it takes on a more sinister component to it. There's there's not this forces of good. This is just Diane justifying herself, her subconscious justifying herself to herself. It's all very sinister when it comes right down to it. You said that at some point, this movie, it, at some point in the making of it, it was connected to Twin Peaks. So how... Tell me more about that, and then how would this have connected to, to yeah, Twin Peaks? Yeah, so, so it began as a, a project when Twin Peaks Season 2 was on the air that David Lynch pitched Mulholland Drive as a spinoff, I think, with Aubrey uh, goes to Hollywood or she leaves Twin oh, Peaks. Okay. So she would, this was going to be her story. Okay. The film version of it, when it was actually filmed as a TV pilot, uh, 
and the version we have now is not what was filmed, but a TV pilot was filmed, and that was, at that point, I think it was the first part of the movie or a portion of the first part of the movie that was made, and it was rejected as a pilot oh. at that point. So you think, would it have followed roughly the story? The amnesia, I, well, the, the, the dream aspect? No, because David Lynch had no clue what he was going to do next. Okay. So he got... Uh, he, he he got the film funded to complete it as an actual film, and he had no idea what to do. So then he sat down, and he's a proponent of transcendental meditation. And so he was doing meditation on this film, and all the ideas came to him, and he put the whole thing together as it is now. But he only had like the uh, TV pilot's worth of material here, which I, I'm guessing was probably mostly a lot of the early stuff with, you know, Rita and Betty investigating yeah. and all of that and, and it became yeah, you could this see whole them other in, thing. You could see them investigating the mystery for a whole season. Exactly. You could see where it could go in a, a more Twin Peaksy type okay. direction at that point. Alright. Well, 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 I guess we solved the mystery. Now you this is your interpretation or this is definitive everybody agrees this is what the movie is saying. Yeah, everybody agrees that's what the movie is saying. I think where you're going to get disagreement is uh, what do some of the symbols mean, which is appropriate. Like, Even though I think it's I'm fairly on board with the idea that the old people are representing her guilt and that their creepy smiling scene earlier is indicative that we're in a dream. That's nightmare-like mm, imagery at okay. that point. Uh, so those things I would I, I would say there's strong evidence for that interpretation, but you know, part of the fun of this movie, and we'll talk about Persona in a second, and some of these others, is that, and especially with Persona, if you talk to anybody who says this is what it means, they're lying to you. Like these dreamlike cinema, it comes a lot from the subconscious of, of the artist, especially David Lynch. If if you can definitively say this is what this means in his films, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just it doesn't work that way. Should oh. we come back to the clues? Yeah, let's do it. And then let, we can talk about some of the other. Yeah, I definitely want to get to Persona because I watched that one also for the first time. So, And I liked it even more. So go ahead. Let's do the clues. So pay particular attention to the beginning of the film. At least two clues are revealed before the credits. One is definitely the pillow. Lots of debate on what the other ones are. I... I don't know. It's something with the jitterbug. Notice appearances of the red lampshade. The red lampshade tends to appear at scenes that denote, especially in the flashback scenes in the second half of the movie, that denote uh, Diane's ascending deeper into her madness. Uh, I think when she calls the hitman, that type of thing. Okay. Uh, can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kitcher's auditioning actresses for? Yes, the Sylvia North story. The significance of that is that that was the film that contributed to Diane and uh, Carmilla's uh, breakup and everything, and then it reappears as a remixed element in the dream. An accident is a terrible event. The location of the accident in the dream is Mulholland Drive, which is the also the occasion or the location of diane's more metaphorical accident the worst moment of her life the moment her life falls apart recreates the literal accident scene of mulholland drive who gives a key and why lots of debate about what that means and whether or not the hitman key is actually given or if it's just left for diane so the internet's all a buzz of that but that and the the blue key for the box are the two significant instances of a key the robe the ashtray the coffee cup sorry anybody that exists in Diane's real life, or sorry, anybody that exists in the dream could be that she met them in her real life. For yeah. example, uh, 
Jacob from Lost right. is in the dream part yes. as a hitman and has yep. his own little hitman scene. Yes. So the cowboy could be a real person. He could be. Maybe. Someone. We don't see him anywhere Maybe when he says it's time to wake up, yep. he, he is leaving a key. Could be. Or is that timing off? I, I think the timing's probably off. But uh, And even like the eyebrow guy from Winkies, the mm-hmm. other Lost guy, uh, she sees him in the diner when she's meeting with the hitman. So he's a real person. Yeah. She just happens to see. Okay. Um, the robe, the ashtray, the coffee cup, these are just markers for when we're in a flashback scene. So if you pay attention to the, how those shift, you can establish when we're in a flashback and when we're not okay. in the second half of the movie. What is felt realized gathered at the Club Silencio that reality is not all that it seems, that things can appear real when they're not. It's the unraveling of the dream. Did talent alone help Camilla? No, it did not. The occurrences surrounding the man behind Winkies um, associated with you know, the hit on, on Camilla. And then where is Aunt Ruth? This is one of the more interesting ones because Aunt Ruth is said to be in Canada, which I guess is a, a euphemism in the film industry for being dead is what oh. I gathered. So Aunt Ruth is actually dead is what the prevailing internet theory is. Uh, how is she in the scene right after the box falls to the ground? That's not real. That's still in the dream. Oh, okay. These are the, you know, some of these are more obscure than others and those are the internet's Okay. interpretations okay so let's let's talk about influences especially persona so let me just read off though the list of influences i have and this is not definitive mm-hmm. so persona which we've already mentioned a lot uh sunset boulevard huge uh, celine and julie go boating three women from robert altman which i also rewatched this last week a uh, phenomenal film wizard of oz um, Wizard of Oz is a touch point in a lot of David Lynch's movies, probably here most notably the same way that Dorothy is remixing people. Like you kind of have that same element where people who are seen oh. in the Kansas sections of Oz appear as characters in Oz. So there's a remixing that takes place in that film. Same thing's happening here. Okay. Uh, Daisies, Vertigo. Um, and then I also have Eyes Wide Shut as an adjacent film, not an influence. Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks and Lost Highway. Okay. But let's talk about Persona. So for people who aren't as familiar with Persona, this is Ingmar Bergman's masterpiece, one of his masterpieces. Similar plot, uh, two women who are maybe the same person, maybe different people. I, do a- I don't know. How, how would you summarize Persona? Well, yeah, let's do the same thing we did with Mulholland Drive. If you made it this far into the episode, but now I haven't watched Persona, stop and go watch that stop movie. Stop and go watch Persona. Which Mulholland Drive was not available anywhere. I had to get it from the library, but Persona is on Max right now. Okay. As is, uh, I believe, Sunset Boulevard, although I'm not positive. I, it's, I get it. it's not. Okay. So I, I didn't watch that one recently, but I saw it a couple years back. So yes, here's a spoiler warning for Persona, but now we're going to talk in full about that movie. Yeah. I, I think that the same person... <laughs> But will you load up my review while I talk for a second? I will. Because that will give my thoughts in full. So, yes, the movie, There, you already talked about how it just stops in the middle. There's also some, a few other scenes where, like, the very opening scene, it's almost like it's trying to, like, get to the right spot to start the movie. Yeah, and the even the opening and closing shots are of an old-style projector yeah. lamp. Yeah coming on I think and that, turning off. Isn't there a scene where the film burns away? It, it, yes. Uh, yeah, so there's multiple times where and, it and breaks. And towards the end of the movie, we actually see the camera crew filming uh, one of the women, the nurse, as she leaves the island. So yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I did not notice that. Is it obvious? Yes. 
I was watching very. I mean, these are not movies I watched like cows. No, yeah, so the, I, there's a lot to take in, and I mean, here's your review, which I thought was very well stated. There's more happening in this film that I fully understand, but I still appreciated the experience. I think I get same. It, yeah. It's four and a half, right? Is that what I gave it? You did, yeah. Four and a half for Persona, four for Mulholland Drive. I, I like both of these movies. I don't mind weird things. I kind of like weird things. Yeah, they're very surrealistic. So yeah, so this one, at first I thought it was a little bit straightforward, and then it started to become a little bit more warped. Right. And then uh, the scene that just, I was already into it, but the scene that pushed me over the edge is when they show us the same scene yes. towards the end from both perspectives. So one, you're, you're facing one of the women, you start the scene back over for no reason, and then you're facing the other woman. Well, I guess it's not for no reason. It, the, the reason is probably to start to show these two people are coming together. Like it, right? The personalities are are melding. It feels like yeah, who's who? Yeah. So after that scene, where the, I w- I wanted them to tell it exactly. I wanted the whole long scene to completely repeat, and I believe it did word it for does. word. It does. Uh, so that was my favorite scene in the movie. So yeah, by the end, I don't know which one's real, but I think they're one person. I mean, I think that's as solid an interpretation as as anything. I mean, Peter Cowie, who is... uh, I think the nurse is probably actually the real lady. Maybe. That's married to that guy. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, so Peter Cowie is a Bergman scholar, and I've actually... I don't listen to a lot of commentaries on movies, but I've listened to his commentary on the Criterion uh, disc of, of Persona, and he has a comment, and this is on the Wikipedia page, too, of like, no matter what you say about Persona, something can contradict it, hmm. which is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost worse than David Lynch it, in some it ways. Is. I mean, not it's worse, very surrealistic. Worse in the way, in the, I guess what I mean by that is you cannot unravel this. You, yeah, you, you really can't in, in some ways. I mean, the most straightforward adaptation, there's a couple of straightforward takes I think you, you could have. But unlike Mulholland Drive, where I think you can say this is what's happening on a plot level, I don't know if you can say the same thing here. I think probably the best interpretation is that they we're, we're watching two aspects of the same person uh, dealing with the guilt of motherhood. You know, which is the central story mm-hmm. at the that the, the, the repeats at the end of of feeling guilty, not wanting this child, having to come to terms with being loved by this child. That drives into the boy in the surrealistic beginning mm-hmm. who sees the picture and the pictures flashing between them. Mm-hmm. I, I just there's so much, you know, there's things that are interesting to play with in this film, uh, but in some ways, like I'm very resistant to interpretation on it because I just love the surrealism of it. I would say my favorite straightforward interpretation, which is, to be clear, I'm not saying what I think is happening. I'm saying my favorite is that it's a vampire movie. <laughs> I never heard that. All right, oh, you never, yeah. you've never mentioned that. Where where does that come from? Oh, so there's actually vampire uh, symbols all throughout the film. So uh, you never revealed to me that there was any connection potentially to vampires. Tell yeah, me, this is potentially a vampire movie. Okay, let's hear it. I mean, uh, to start with, Elizabeth uh, uh, drinks her blood at the end. Uh, she drinks the nurse's blood. I'm trying to remember the nurse's name. Is it Anna? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, she drinks her blood at the end. Right after the scene you talked about, she mm-hmm. scratches her arm mm-hmm. and then uh, drinks her blood. Okay. But, you know, to start with, at the very beginning, we have the whole imagery of like the silent film. That's a silent vampire film that it's taken from. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I think there's also Elizabeth. He doesn't say anything through the whole film, 
and so we have oh the, rarely rarely but the the nurse is talking and talking and talking and talking throughout uh, this whole movie and we get the sense that at first it feels very good for her um uh, but eventually it's like she starts to feel like she's consumed by elizabeth so elizabeth's just sort of empty vessel who is taking on more and more and more of the nurse's personality so the vampirism is it, it, the most I can say is that it's at least intentional that those symbols are in the movie uh, and that those aspects of the film are present. Now, are you supposed to take it literally? I'm less convinced of that because uh, the same thing applies. Like if they're actually two sides of the same person, then the dominant side. So I would actually say the opposite of you. I think Elizabeth is the real person and she's consuming the nurse in order to re-become who her full self, hence the vampirism. Hmm. Uh, you had recommended to me that I read Alma. a book. Alma. You had recommended that I read a book called Carmilla. Yes. Which is a vampire book, short, pretty short story. Yeah. About two women from I don't even know what year. A late. Uh, it's before Dracula, so you know, nineteenth century. I mean, what year? Yeah. So it takes place. At, yeah. Okay. So, anyways, I was thinking. I thought that maybe there was some connection to Mulholland Drive from that book. Like, I was wondering why you were recommending it. Did it connect to Mulholland Drive because of the character? Because there is a Camilla. Wait, yeah. Car- there's Carmilla and Camilla. Is that? But it, now I'm thinking the connection is more to Persona. Well, so I hadn't read the book yet when I recommended it to you. The reason I recommended it is, and I just read it this last week too, is that I was when I was we were first planning on this episode, I started to do some reading up on influences i came across carmilla as a influence on mulholland drive okay. i think it's an influence on both films to be honest i i do think the camilla carmilla thing is intentional hmm. uh i think that you know all these films so we'll touch on a few more uh before we wrap up but like this whole idea of surrealism that involves two women who are maybe same parts of the same personality or have merging identities, uh, the whole symbolism of one being dark and one light, which is present in both the novel and Mulholland Drive and Persona, uh, in uh, Three Women. It uh, recurs, like, there's all these recurring elements. And Carmilla, from a literary standpoint, isn't, I mean, it's fine. I enjoyed it, but it, it's not like great literary work. But there's elements of it that I think are showing up remixed in all of these. And I think it's influential enough where. At whether directly or indirectly, uh, meaning whether or not David Lynch read it directly himself or was just influenced by things that are influenced by it, it's kind of a root source to a lot of these types of films, um, and it's definitely present in both Mulholland Drive and Persona. Hmm. On its own, take it or leave it, but as a examination of where where's this type of film, this type of story coming from, I think it's essential from that perspective. All right. Good. Well, yeah, I did a lot of homework this week for the podcast because I watched Mulholland Drive, Persona, Wizard of Oz, yep. read Carmilla, and then for other episodes, watched the the first Roger Moore, James Bond movie, Live and Let Die, and over in the extra feed, we're about to do the Iliad. Yeah, it was a there, lot. Yes. It was a lot. Man. So <laughs> I, I know we're, we're going long on this one, but before we wrap up, I do want to hit on both Three Women and Sunset Boulevard okay. a bit. No, I haven't seen Three Women, but I have seen... Sunset Boulevard. So Sunset Boulevard, obviously the title, Sunset Boulevard, Mulholland Drive, is meant to be a parallel. Both are showing aspects of cinema, uh, the effect of cinema. What's interesting is that um, 
what's her name, the old lady in Sunset Boulevard, she and Diane's stories are actually the same. They're just from opposite ends of the career. They're both people who are consumed by the desire for fame and destroyed by it. So there's an interesting symmetry that appears between the two films there. It's one of David Lynch's favorite movies. And I think, you know, I, I looked at your review on Letterboxd to Sunset Drive from a few years ago, or Sunset Boulevard from a few years ago, and you brought up the dreamlike aspect of it there. And it's true. Like, there is, it's not as surreal as some of these other movies we're talking about, uh, but there is this sort of dreamlike aspect to Sunset Boulevard that I think is really, really cool. I mean, for starters, it's narrated by a dead body. Hmm. Which is also kind of a parallel to Mel Helen Drive in mm-hmm. that we have a body present the whole time, more or less. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I really liked uh, Sunset Boulevard. The, the, there's a shot in Mel Helen Drive where Diane shows up for, or Betty at the time shows up for her audition outside the Paramount Gates. Uh, the Paramount Gates are shot the same way in Sunset Boulevard. So lots of fun parallels there. Uh, Three Women is highly influenced by Persona. And we talk about these movies coming from the subconscious and from a dreamlike state. Robert Altman came up with uh, three women as a result of having a dream. So now the title would suggest that there is, you know, three women instead of just two, which there are. But it primarily takes place between Sissy Spacek's character, who's kind of this shy, demure, quiet uh girl and then the more mature Shelley Duvall character who's just very chatty always talking uh and we kind of have a similar vampiristic aspect in that film a little bit less direct with some of the 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 symbolism nobody's drinking anybody else's blood in that one that they are in persona but a really similar thing that develops and you can interpret the movie very similarly where all three women are uh, of the three women title are aspects of a single personality uh it's also really fascinating i'm, I'm going to be vague to avoid spoilers but as the film goes on their identities shift uh nobody not quite in the same way that we see in mulholland drive where they become different characters but they take on different parts of each other's identities as the mm-hmm. film goes on uh i like robert altman a lot just generally but this movie to me is my favorite of his because it's so surrealistic uh i'd say if you at all like mulholland drive and persona three women is the weakest of the three in my opinion but then again the other two are both in my top 25 of all time so you know that's not really saying a whole lot it's still a five-star movie to me i'd highly highly recommend it all right where do we go from here with this episode I think we're about wrapping up. I mean, I'd say, you know, the other one that I had out there was Daisies. I think Daisies is a interesting film, lots of surrealism. It does have the whole two women personality, but it's less interesting to me because uh, there's no conflict between them in the same way there are in the, it's kind of them against the world. Whereas part of what's fun about all of these other movies is uh, the dynamic of two women who have one second appear very, very close to each other and the next are perhaps trying to kill each other as happens in literally a Mulholland drive and figuratively Mm. in persona. Yeah. In persona, I'll hit the music here. What do you make of the scene that they keep coming back to where the long haired girl is putting her hair over the head of the short haired girl? Right. Right. By the end of the movie, we're left feeling like these are one and the same, but is there, is there more to be? Because 
I guess is there more to that scene? It seems almost iconic, even though I don't know for sure if it's an iconic scene. It seems like it's the image of the movie. It's one of them, yeah. And, it, and David Lynch recreates that shot in uh, Mulholland Drive okay. where they put the wig on, on oh, Rita yeah. and they're looking at themselves in the mirror. Okay. You know, the use of mirrors is another thing in all these films that, that comes up again and again and again, you know, fairly obvious symbolism of duality. You know, usually when Wizard of Oz is a influence, also Alice in Wonderland is an influence. Would you see that anywhere? I mean, mirrors and uh, yeah. just like dreamlike places? Maybe a little bit. Less so here just because David Lynch is you know, very, very influenced by Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard him mention Alice in Wonderland, but you, know, right. you get to female surrealism it's hard not to go there all right listeners that's all from here i'm Matt anderson i'm ben devono and we're the sci-fi christian signing off all right goodbye